Turn in your Bibles to Joshua 15. Um, I'm going to be doing this over two weeks. I'm going to actually cover Joshua 15 to Joshua 19 in two weeks. Um, this is uh, what we might refer to as a preacher's graveyard um, <laughs> or, a, or a congregational sleep moment. This is a, uh, a section of the Bible which if you, I think as Aaron shared a couple of weeks ago, if you just kind of read it and just read it through, you think, I'm just going to skip over this because it's just a list of uh, names. And even when I was looking at this before and preparing for the preach today, I said to Simon, you know, I'm looking at this and it's a real tough area of scripture to go through. I'm not sure I can fill 35 minutes, to which his suggestion was just read the whole thing very, very slowly. <laughs> so we're going to do that together. <clears throat> We're not. Well, don't worry, we're not. Um, and let me tell you why. If you look at the next um, slide, this is the sort of thing that goes on throughout Joshua 15 to 19. As the, as the land gets divided up, as they start to talk about it, this is the way in which the land is going to be divided up. Something Simon shared a lot on last week about the principles of that. As it gets divided up, you'll start to see the names and the territory and the from the, over the mountain, through the valley of, past the river of, past the next door of, through Costco onto the sea of whatever you know it just goes on and it says and that's one boundary and you think oh that's good the and now we're going to go to the other boundary and it tells you the boundaries of some of these what these tribes are awarded and then as you get later on you start to see the towns involved and trust me I saw Aaron try it and I'm not going to even attempt it to read through all of that stuff and you're thinking well you know I, I actually read it out loud when I was prepping I thought I'm just going to do this as an act of faith in God I'm just going to read this whole thing out loud and I'm sure if anyone uh, remotely knowing <laughs> knowing the proper pronunciations was nearby they would have been holding their heads in their hands but we were looking I was looking for what are you saying through this God what is the thing that really is going to come out from this part of scripture because I believe and we believe as a, as a church in uh, the word of God being the word of God scripture God breathed that it's a hundred percent the absolute um, word of God in scripture therefore none of it should be skipped over I read a commentary on Joshua in my preparation which almost said these four chapters of the Bible are very much about this and that, so we'll skip over it. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, I'm not sure that sits well with me because all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's recorded for a reason. So at that moment, you kind of get before God and you pray. And we look at then at 15 and 19, and God you know, has revealed some stuff, and I hope this is what's going to come out today. But uh, chapters 15 to 19 are really about allotment, about the allocation of territory, the allocation of the things that God had blessed this group of people with as a whole, which is the promised land, and then he starts to divide it up. Now you, again, Simon's sharing last week about how that means for individuals and how it reflects as the church starting to divide up areas of responsibility, and I'm going to look at actually the uh, allocation of the land, and what does that mean to us when we talk about the possessions that God has given the people, and the, he's telling them, go and possess it, and if you look back in the Scripture that Aaron uh, read from, which would be in 13.6. It's not up there, I'll just read it. It says, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as, the, as an inheritance among the nine and a half tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. So God had said, I'm going before you. I've already possessed this land. I own, you know, God owns everything. I possessed it on your behalf. And now this is exactly how I want you to divide it up. And then from that point forward, through this, this, this chunk of Joshua, you get the real detail of who's to do what, what you're going to go and claim, and exactly what you're going to have to take, and specific down to the town 
name of everything that's going to happen. Through Joshua, God is very, very detailed at this moment. And, you know, like I say, if you read it cold, you're thinking, that's just a lot of detail. But that in itself tells us something. That's a lot of detail. God has actually reflected detail, finite detail of exactly what's going to be happening. So what follows through is specific instruction of how the land is to be divided and possessed. God has gone first, so he's saying, I already have possessed it for you, so it's not like you're actually going to have to go and you should, you, you, I've taken it, so you're just going to have to go and claim it as, as some respect, possess the possession I've taken for you. He's very specific, I've gone before you, so you don't need to worry about whether I've got it right or not. This is exactly what you're supposed to take. I've gone before you. And it's again back to another thing that Simon shared a while ago. All these things coming together at this moment in Joshua, which is if you, if you do your bit, I'll do my bit. God's saying this is what you need to do. You need to go and possess. You need to go and take this land. But I'll meet you there because I've taken it already for you. It's a merging together of God and man. Man's activity in the natural. Down here you have to do something because God in the supernatural has gone before you. And they come together at this moment. So what I'm going to explore this week is, uh, is this whole area again. We're going to go into this in some detail about we need to follow God's instruction, but we need to follow it in his wake. The moment we run ahead of God, the moment we charge forward and say, I've got it, don't worry about any God stuff, we've got it sustained, and we just run ahead with stuff, it's folly, it's flawed. But you have to know as a church, and you have to know as a church, as a church how the leadership works here is saying, yes, we're sure there's a load of good stuff. You could write a list, but we need to know God's in it before we do it. And, and Friday, we were in another meeting, Simon and I, with another individual saying, this is something that's been on our heart for a while, but this is the time to start getting it ready to happen. Now's that moment. We could have done it a year ago when we first moved to here. We could have said, let's do this thing in church life, but it would have been flawed because we knew at that moment it wasn't right. And now we feel it is right. So you're going to hear again soon about other areas of church life where we're starting to expand. The, um, the Excavate Bible study was not here when the church first established at View. We waited. We felt this just wasn't the right time for the church. There was too many other things going on and we felt God say, no, 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 not yet. But of course I want you to do Bible study. Duh, duh, you know, it's sort of not, a, not a hard one to figure out, but not yet. Not yet. So I'm going to talk about how we must take full possession of what God has laid before us. Not part possession, not compromise, and make sure we don't ignore the things that apparently look little. When God lays out his plan, we need to make sure we understand that within it is often quite a bit of detail. So let's just talk about those, those little things. Um, hands up if you've ever built IKEA flat pack furniture. <sighs> okay, all right, so plenty of us. Hands up if you've bought, built any flat pack furniture. Anyone remember MFI? Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of us out there who will understand what I'm on about. I've used this before in preaching. I think IKEA, flat pack furniture, is something God's laid on my heart deeply to share over the next five years. So I'll probably use it again, but I'm using it in a different context here. We, uh, Jane and I had the, the honor and privilege of being invited to Jerry and Sue's on Friday because they have a new house. So if anyone knows, they've had their house kind of gutted. Uh, if you've seen the X101 videos with Simon and I, the ripped up walls, that was Jerry and Sue's bedroom we filmed in when it was all kind of in a state of uh, disarray. Uh, and now it's all painted and decorated and in a state of disarray. But no, we, we were <laughs> are they in here? Are they gone out? Oh, good, they've gone. Um, okay, so um, we went there and, and, and I walked in and I saw, um, Jerry took us upstairs and said, oh, here's the bedroom, which is now looking amazing, beautifully done. And the biggest set of Ikea wardrobes you've ever seen in your life. I mean, honestly, it probably will be the family tomb one day. It was that big. Um, 
I don't know, how, Greg, did you help them with it? Yeah, this thing, I don't know, I mean, apparently you build it on the floor and then lift it up, yeah, and it, put it, and it literally fills the entire wall right to the ceiling, so how the angle worked, just don't know, but it's so big that I'm sure if you went in there and looked like there's a, like a, there'll be a snow thing and the Narnia will be through there somewhere, <laughs> but it'll be a long walk to get to Narnia's entrance, it's a huge thing, and I was thinking when they finished making this thing, I bet, I bet as they finished, Jerry would have looked at the floor and seen the thing that all men dread, leftover bits. <laughs> You're looking, thinking, is that important? <laughs> it looks like a bracket. <laughs> Where did I, what did I miss? And the worst thing, even though you might see a few bolts and the, you know, the old Allen key's always there, but you know, a few bolts and some dowels and stuff, is if you actually see a piece of wood, you're thinking, oh no, <laughs> I've missed a bit of wood off. I'm sure, is that, is that packaging? Is it packaging? It doesn't look the same type of wood, so it might be packaging, but it could be actually really, really important. And you spend the next three weeks, especially Jerry must be with you, playing sleeping with your eye open, thinking, I'm listening for the sound of... So the, kind of the whole thing just shifts forward, and, and Jerry and Sue's case would just kind of <laughs> lay on their bed, and would be the family too. But, you know, it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a standard thing that uh, within, uh, within flat-pack furniture, there's stuff that's going to get left over. Um, and the problem that kind of drives all this, what actually is at the heart of this often, and, you know, if you don't do this, bless you, you know, but, but I do. I follow instructions in a certain style. It usually goes something like this, especially with flat-packed furniture. Steps one to four, I'm paying attention. I've laid out, the, I'm really, I've, laid, I've looked at, oh, yeah, that's that, oh, that screw, I've got nine of those, yes, I have, and laid them all out neatly. And I'm, one to four, I'm kind of good because it's big pieces, you know, big panel slots, whacking this thing together. I've got the Allen key of, you know, going ahead. And I've started building it. And I'm up, up to step four, and I'm cruising. I'm looking good, and I'm thinking, yeah. And then I start to just glance at the rest of the instructions. Oh, yeah, that goes there. Oh, that's probably that screw. But, but by about the sort of step eight, I can't even find the instructions anymore. I'm freestyle. I am, I'm a carpenter, Ben. I'm I'm going. <laughs> I'm good. I don't need to look at any of those instructions. I can just carry on and get to the end. And there is my, you know, chest of drawers or whatever on this wardrobe unit. And as I say, then Satan just pops out of his pockets and bolts just to, just to leave you there with some doubt. And you're thinking, I'm sure I counted them out at the beginning. And I'm sure there was exactly the right amount. Something's wrong in this thing, isn't it? I'm not quite. And I kind of you get to that stage of kind of dreaded fear. And, and these things, these things that you eventually think, well, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know if you've ever seen Michael McIntyre on this. If you haven't, please do. They go in the man drawer. There is a man drawer in every house. In fact, several in my house. You have a man drawer full of half-used half batteries, foreign currency that's no longer in circulation, instructions manuals for toasters you don't have, remote controls for things you don't know what they actually remote control anymore. So you can just walk around the house going, nothing at all is working, but I must keep it in the man drawer. I must keep it there. For one day, it will find its purpose. And you kind of have this thing. And in there is all those Ikea bits. There's 97 Allen keys in there. You know you've got them. Every time you think, well, I must keep that. They're all the same. But you put it in the man drawer just in case that you grow 98 elms and want to tighten something up. You know? So the, there's this place where all these things end up going. And I was looking through my man drawer. It didn't take me a moment to find this. I thought, I wonder if one of those things is in here. That's uh, the next slide, guys. Pop that up. Does anyone know what this actually is? This comes from Ikea. It is from my man drawer. There's two of them. These. Does anyone know? You do. They're what? They are indeed. And they generally live in a man drawer because we can't be bothered with them. These are called wall struts, wall struts. They're there. You're supposed to 
screw one end into a strut of your wall using raw plugs. I mean, you know, most men, raw plugs, no, straight in. You know, oh, plaster, again, plaster, oh, wood, good, good, got some wood. And you, you attach this to the wall, and then the other end of it, you attach to the top of your wardrobe or your unit, so that if, should anyone put any weight on it, look, Sue and Jerry, you are at the back, she's going to him now, did you attach the struts? Did you attach the struts? You didn't attach the struts, do you not love me? You attach these struts to the wall, to the top of the unit, two of them, into the sort of, one of the down struts of the unit, so that should anyone pull on it, or draw with a lot of weight get put on it, heaven forbid a child start to climb up it, like they never would, you know, but climb up it, it doesn't, or it's prevented as best it can from actually falling over. That's what they're for. So lots of people are going to rush home tonight saying, I will do that, I will put on the struts, I will protect my family. But that's what they're for. And that's a typical example of something that's an instruction step 26. And by then we're like, I don't bother with that stuff. It looks pretty sturdy to me. And if I put all heavy stuff in the bottom, it'll be fine. That's the way we are. So, it's there to protect you. It's there, it's there for a reason. Every part usually is there for some kind of purpose. And it's an analogy that actually, then I, that when I was just preparing, it's just an analogy that sits in the same context as what's about to happen in this part of Scripture. Because what happens here, if we read, I'm just going to read another part, I'll put things up there, actually from, uh, from verse 12 of Joshua 17, is it says, Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Now, if you go back to God's instruction, he says, take it all. Drive them out. Claim every town, territory, name I give you. Claim them all. I'm going to give you the detail of what you need to do, so there's no confusion here. And at first, when the Israelites hit this town, they actually can't take it. They're too strong, too resistant. But it says as they grew stronger, as they gained their strength, as, as they then had the ability to do what God's instructed them to do, they don't do it. By that point, they say, nah, we'll leave things as they are. They've hit this barrier, they're told to take possession, and they don't. They actually compromise and say, we're going to leave it kind of as it is. And the question would be, well, why, why would they do that? Because God had been so clear to the Israelite people over here, given such clear instructions. When I give you a possession, when I'm telling you to take this possession, take it fully, I'll list every single detail down for you. The reason that uh, we, we read in Scripture and we believe they didn't is because of several, two or three things, really. One is, it says they, they put them to forced labor. There are other sections in um, this same Scripture about similar situations. They put them to forced labor, which is slavery, essentially which means they make the people of that town work for them. Now, in this time, that was wealth. Wealth was often um, the ownership of slaves, the ownership of a people who will do your bidding for you. So they're in a situation where they've been got used to actually having some wealth. They've got this group of people that are acting as their slaves, and therefore, when they're strong enough to actually wipe them out and do what they're told, they think, nah, I kind of like this. This is kind of good. So we're just going to compromise a bit. That'll be okay. Don't worry too much about that. The other reason that we believe is because it says that they look for peace. Okay, everything's just kind of calm now. I don't want to upset anything. I don't want to mess around with this. It's kind of peaceful. Paul Downey, um, in, his, in his scripture, when he's talking, uh, well, his book, sorry, um, great book around Joshua, I've got this quote, which I thought was, was excellent, again, better than I could put it around this whole thing about compromising for wealth, which is what happened here. 
It says we would do well to remember that every time a person compromises biblical principles for financial gain, he is guilty of the same disobedience as the tribes of Israel who tolerated the Canaanite presence in exchange for tribute money. At that point in the history, which is just so relevant to us today, so again, thousands-year-old word relevant to us today, is that easy to start to compromise when money or wealth or satisfaction is involved. Suddenly the compromise will come. Yeah, but. I know God's saying do this, but everything's kind of nice. I like the way things are. And as I say, this thing about peace then comes alongside, which is we're at peace. We're settled now. We don't need to do what God told us because everything's kind of nice and calm. I've got what I need and everything's calm. Why would I have to upset it? And it's accompanied often in allies with expressions like, I know, I'm gonna, I know I need to challenge my friend or my person or someone in the church about this, but I don't want to rock the boat. I like peace. This is good. I know, it's going against, uh, I know it's going against what God's called me to do, but look, everyone's cool. Everyone's fine. You know, everything's just kind of moving along smoothly. If I don't actually buy the drugs, I'm not really a drug buyer. If I don't actually buy the alcohol at 17, I'm not really buying alcohol. If I don't actually own the porn film, if it's not actually my computer I'm watching it on, it's kind of not quite the same as if I did. And we let those compromises slide in to our thinking process. Because we don't want to face the difficult challenges and the kind of upsetting of the balance which says that oh, God's challenging me about something and this is a bit of a battleground for me and it's an area that I'm really challenged by and I don't want to have the fight. I like the peace. So I'm just going to compromise a bit to kind of make it feel right for me and then I can just smooth my way through it. Francis Schaeffer also in this area said that uh, the desire for peace and tribute, wealth, stood in the way. Therefore, on the basis of the conditional portion of the covenant of God, the blessing stopped. What he's saying is that God said to the Israelite people, do it this way. They didn't do it this way. And you're going to see as the scripture moves on, it starts to unwind as a result of that compromise. And you think the Israelites did this before. If you have been with us through the series, they did it before. They compromised and they're compromising again. Kind of saying, it's all fine. Don't worry, it's not too bad an issue. We're not quite doing what God said, but hey-ho. And it starts to unravel before them. And over the, 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 the chapters that come, you're going to see it. There's probably a third part as well. There's probably a third element to this as well, which, which I would say is that often we can kid ourselves that because we're kind of 90% of the way there with something, because we've kind of done enough of it, the last 10% doesn't matter. We, we don't need to d- worry about that thing. And it can be very true of us as a church. We can kind of get to the point where we say, look, you know, the, the screen's kind of, as kind of got shared this morning, the screen's the, you know, half full. That's pretty good. Let's just take our foot off. Let's... No, 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 no. The reason we want to grow is not for growth. We're not ashamed about wanting to grow because we want to see people saved. That's why we want to see this church. So we're not worried at all about the feeling that this isn't enough. And we will be continually dissatisfied probably that we never quite get to the 100%. But we shouldn't stop at 90 and say, that'll do. That's cool. And we can do it personally too. We can say, you know, I'm trying to get myself right with God. I've I've looked at these areas in my life. I've looked at this thing. I'm kind of 80% of the way there. That's more than half. God must be well chuffed. It's not the way it's going to work, is it? It's that 20% that often unwinds us. So our challenge today is if we fail to possess what God has possessed for us and compromise the instructions on how we live, we will not see the blessing flow in our lives individually or corporately as a church. Let me say that again. Our challenge today is that if we fail to possess what God has possessed for us and compromise the instruction on how to live, we will not see the blessings flow in our lives individually or corporately as a church.
So what do we need to possess? What are the things that we say? Possessions, because we're not actually supposed to go out. God hasn't said, I want you to take Wheelstone, Cartlers, Park, South Oxy. We're not in that mode of actually going out and taking individual towns. We don't have that instruction from God. But there are things that God has possessed for us in a New Testament way. We have been possessed certain things. And let's just look at some of those things. First thing that we need to take full and complete possession of is our salvation. Fully, fully take it. It's not a, it's not a prize or a ticket. It's the gift that you receive and you live in the grace of God. The salvation God has given you, you live in the grace of it. You are wiped free of sin. You are forgiven. You're able to stand in front of God and he will see his son. Ben said about the stink of sin is not on you because he'll smell the fragrance of his son. When he looks at you, he doesn't see all the stuff that you did. He sees his son. So therefore, we need to live fully, possess salvation in the sense of, I'm going to take it. You know, there is no, there is no part salvation. You can't be a little bit saved and you can't be a little bit pregnant. It's that kind of thing. You just can't be a little bit dead. When you're saved, you're fully saved and you fully possess it and you embrace it because you're going to sin again. You're going to fall. We're not a perfect people. And if you don't fully embrace your salvation and possess it in its entirety, then as soon as you stumble and trip, you start to condemn yourself and you go down, down, down. And you have to almost be saved again, but you're not because once you're saved, you're saved. You have to return to the cross and say, God, you saved me. I'm white clean of sin. So we need to fully possess salvation, which leads to freedom because we're free of sin and ends up with us in victory. I've said it to you before when I I preached on Joshua before, this thing about allowing sin to kind of push us down so low that we kind of feel like we're pushed onto the floor. And, And in one of the parts of Joshua, it says, stand up. Stand up, stand up above those things that will crush you down. You're in victory. Sin and death has no hold over you. It had no hold over Jesus and you're in Christ. It has no hold over you. It can't hold you down there. It can try. Stand up. And because of that, God's restored a relationship with himself. Through his son, Jesus, we have a relationship that we need to fully possess. God wants to spend time talking to us, being with us, speaking to us. And we need to fully possess that and own it fully. He's given us the word of God, the map for life. Some people call it God's little instruction book. It's a little bit of a dodgy thing to call it that because it's not like that because you don't pick it up like a manual. But in some respects, it's full of God's goodness and instruction for our life. So again, we need to possess it fully, not just read bits of the New Testament occasionally, not buy little, little uh, you know, tracks about stuff, but actually not read the word of God. And we can often, therefore, you know, just take the Ten Commandment type things, that the, the, the rules for life are don't kill people, don't do this, don't do that, and miss out on some of the depth of how God tells us to be and how he asks us to live and how he asks us to love one another and all these things that are locked up in the Scriptures, but they're very easy to open up. You just really need to read them. That would be the first key to unlocking them. But also, here's the, big, here's the one I want to come in on today, the big one for me, is that he left a gift behind for us when Jesus went. When Jesus was going to die, it said in John 14, 12 to 16, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, You will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. God leaves behind, uh, Jesus, when he goes, says, Father's going to leave behind a helper for you, the Holy Spirit. 
And it's not a helper in the sense of it's just something I lean on when I'm in trouble. This is a helper for all the things that we know life's going to throw at us and all the things we desire to see. God leaves behind the Holy Spirit and Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I. Even greater things than Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to do even greater things than Jesus. You heard the story about someone just touching Jesus' robe and being healed. And it says you'll do even greater things than him. But our faith level for that is so much lower than it should be. And when the Holy Spirit does actually come, it's in Acts at the day of Pentecost, and it falls upon um, the disciples. You hear Peter share about the sort of things that come with the Holy Spirit. And this is not confined to history. This is the Holy Spirit that wants to be in you today. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's you. Your young men will see visions. That's not me. Well, maybe. That's you. Your old men will dream dreams. That's me. <laughs> Had some weird dreams recently. Um, even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in these days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. So the, the same spirit that talks about the things it's going to do in you is the same spirit that's going to kind of come in amazing power at the end of time as Jesus returns. But the spirit is with us today. Do we fully possess it? Or do we compromise it? Or do we kind of box it up? The, the Spirit, if you read the gifts of the Spirit, are so numerous. The gifts of healing, prophecy, words of knowledge. The gift of administration. What? The gift of administration is in there. The Holy Spirit is a, is a, is a wide-ranging, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it, treasure chest of gifts available to every single one of us. And we can often say that, but I, I'm not a prophet. But it says God will allow you to prophesy at the right time in measure, at the right moment. So you have the ability to prophesy. You have the ability to have a word of knowledge that says to someone, you know what? That's going on in your life. God's told me to pray for your speech. You know about this. And they go, <gasps> and then God does that through his spirit. That's not for the, the per- oh yeah, there's someone in a church who does that sort of stuff. There may be people who, who enjoy that and exercise in that more, but that same spirit's available to you. So the promised gift of the Father, fully available, says... Here it is. I'm leaving it for you. Everything that Jesus did, you can do. You just need to take full possession of it. Here's my gift. Take it in its entirety. Take every aspect of it and use every part of it as much as you possibly, possibly can. It's an amazing gift that God has left for us. The Holy Spirit to see us through to the end of time until we'll be with him. We have his spirit with us today. Let me just talk about how this, this applies to us. Hopefully it's kind of coming through as I go. We can often just sort of take the prize. We can often do the kind of big hitter stuff. We can take the gifts of God and we can say, I'm just going to take salvation in its smallest form. The Holy Spirit, well, that will help me pray a bit. I'll take that. Um, I'll, I'll just take these bits of, of what it is and I'll just keep everything quite, quite small, not realizing that the breadth of the Word of God, the breadth of the Holy Spirit, all these things are there. The big hitters are often what clouds our vision for the detail that God wants to get into our life. He wants to deal with every aspect of your life, small and large. We can focus too much on personal salvation Hallelujah, that you're saved and ignore the gifts of the Spirit, which gives us this ability to pray, study, administer, be in his presence daily through the Spirit. We can leave all that aside. I often use uh, someone's, who was it said this morning? I won't use a football analogy. It was you, Anne, wasn't it? Well, I am going to use a football analogy. 
Um, I actually went last week to, um, I haven't been for a while, to an actual football match. I went to, uh, I went to the Emirates and watched Arsenal. Trash Fulham. Um, <laughs> and um, when you actually watch a football match, it's very, very different from the television, from the highlights you would see. You actually get to see the entire game going on. And if you're kind of darting your eyes around, you actually get to see what's going on be off the ball. And what you often see on the highlights is really only the on-the-ball action, of course. And really, if it's the short highlights at the end, and as, as your team doesn't do so well, you know, like West Ham, for example, you know, your highlights get shoved to the back and they're like four minutes long versus the Chelsea game, which is like 15 minutes. So your highlights are really just tap, 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 goal, goal, incident, done. So you don't get to see any of that. Um, what's going on on the pitch. I mean, when you're actually in a match, and, and, and the Emirates is a great stadium because you feel quite low into the pitch, you're, you're often watching not the ball. You're watching someone like Van Persie, who for me is a great player, just run like crazy, getting himself into, into positions where he can just dart through, and you're thinking, he's in position. If that ball comes over now, he's going to get there. You see some of the fine detail. You watch someone like Arshavin, who just seems to be able to sort of lollop around like he's not bothering, and suddenly just burst forward and get the ball, and it's stuck to his foot. And, and you get to see all this stuff going on that you wouldn't normally see if you just take the highlights of the game. And you start to realise, these guys are fit. I mean, I'm one of those people who moans like crazy when someone says, I'm fit and I'm fit and they're a footballer. You think, you're paid to be fit. But when you actually watch a match and see some of these guys run around and do the stuff that they do, you realise this is part of a whole programme of training, nutrition, everything that goes into it for those 90 minutes on the pitch. And yet all we ever see on match of the day, if your team's in the Premiership, is just three minutes, four minutes. And we miss all the detail. And so it is with us. We need to possess the fullness of the Trinity, not fall into the misconceptions that God is the big main dude, then there's his son, and there's this kind of third place position of the Holy Spirit. No. It's in equal measure we need to revere the Father, glorify his Son, and fully possess the full breadth of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to see the full gifts of the breadth of the Holy Spirit active in this church, active in your life. That's something we're, we're really starting to feel passionate about. We want to see prophecy, healing, it was too quiet up the front this morning. Too quiet up the front. People were, you know, God wants to do stuff in this church. You know, we, we need to see more of it going on. We need to see more movement of the Holy Spirit in us as a people. And it's not a kind of condemnatory thing. That's a, that's a desire and a passion to say we need to be unlike the Israelites. We want to possess fully, fully the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In a minute, I'm going to pray because we're done on time. I'm going to pray for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit on us as a people. I want to pray, God, pour it out on us like we've never been poured out before. I want us to be marked as a people that say that when people come in this door, they say they really, really are wacky because there's some stuff going on. But hey, God was at work and it spoke to me and something happened because we were all saved, not by the, the clever words of an individual, but the Holy Spirit met with us at that moment. Jesus meets with you. You have a personal revelation of Christ. And it all happens. It doesn't happen. It's not like an intellectual exercise. The Spirit's at work drawing people to that moment of salvation. And then the power of it is unleashed in our lives. And I want to just pray for us today that we would be unleashed in the power of the Holy Spirit.